When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Atalanta review episode, and it is brought to you by Betstamp the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. I'm joined by a guest to help me with this episode. He's been on the show a number of times, and he was at the Giwis to take in this match. Daniel Bowen, welcome back. Hey, Joe. How are we doing? Thanks for having me again, brother. I am doing fantastic because we won on Saturday, of course, and you know that basically sets the tone until... Or you know, for my my mood until the next match, and then it just goes on and on like that for about eight months, and then we get a little bit of a break. But no, I'm doing well. Um, my little guy started soccer on Saturday as well, so that's always uh, that's always fun for him. We've got a lot to chat about. We're gonna talk about the Champions League draw that happened on Monday. We have a midweek fixture against Empoli that we'll quickly uh, preview. That matches on Tuesday, but let's start with the match against Atalanta on Saturday. As I'm sure everybody's already aware, Napoli won 2-1 to one on goals from Victor Osimhen and Elif Elmas after Adamola Lukman put Atalanta ahead from the penalty spot. I want to start with Elif Elmas, who started on the left wing with Javicha Kvaraschelia out due to lower back pain. Dan, before we get to his performance, were you surprised that Spalletti chose Elmas to start on the left wing instead of Raspadori? Oh, 100%. Nobody saw that coming, I don't think. I mean, it turned out to be the right decision, and uh, that's what they didn't even get in the game. So, yeah, it's it's great to see a decision like that that Spalletti makes works out perfectly. I mean, he knows the players better than anybody. And then Elmas is, you know, he's had a little run of some controversial things and getting a little bit of uh, – the fans aren't really warming up to him lately and stuff. So it was nice to see him actually get that goal. And after the game, when he did his, his on the field interview and the way that the reporter was trying to, to ask him controversial questions and get him to say something that he shouldn't. I was really impressed with how he answered those questions to, to diffuse anything and just, Basically, he was saying it's about the team and nobody else, and I just need to always be ready to play. So Spalletti probably noticed something in training, man, and uh, he gave him a shot and he pulled through. Everyone saw the Instagram post and maybe the media made a bigger deal of it. I, I think Juntoli came out and said, look, it was just a joke and that's all it is. We're not, we don't think anything of it. But still, 
you make a joke like that and you're putting a little bit of pressure on yourself. So that was good to see that obviously he, he got the goal. I think it was also perhaps a tactical choice from Spalletti. In addition to what you said about knowing the condition of his players with Spalletti, I think he knew that, as we all did, that Atalanta liked to play with wingbacks. Sometimes they line up with a five-man midfield, sometimes with four. So he set up to be able to defend that. And if you noticed, we defended in a 4-5-1 with both of our wingers dropping to play almost as wingbacks themselves to counter Atalanta's wingbacks. And not that Raspadori can't track back to help defend. We know that he can and does do that, but... Elmas often plays in the midfield, so he's quite comfortable at getting back there and helping to defend. So I think there was maybe a little bit of tactical decision-making there from Spalletti. Had this match been in Napoli, then I think maybe Spalletti might have taken a more proactive approach because you're playing in Bergamo. It's a tough place to play. They're playing really well. So I think he might have erred on the side of caution there and went with a slightly more defensive formation than had he started Raspadori. As you said, Raspadori didn't feature at all in this match. Almas played until stoppage time when he was replaced by Alessio Zerbin, which was really just a substitution to kill off some time more than anything. We'll talk a bit about the Empoli match a bit later, but I also wonder if that means that we'll see Raspadori play on Tuesday. Now, that decision from Spalletti obviously paid off. Elmes scored the second goal of the match, which turned out to be the game winner in the 35th minute. How much credit do you give Elmes for that goal, and how much credit do we have to give to Victor Osiman? Dude, so just the way that Victor Osiman fought the defender to get the ball anywhere, because the defender was all over him, and him able to find a way to just cross that ball back in front of goal. That was special. So if you're asking me who made the better play, it was Victor Ozevin, man. Now, Elmas went where he needed to be. He needed to be right there in order to receive that ball. And his hesitation and then shooting it right underneath the goalie, it could have been saved, but it was still a good shot. But, man, the answer to your question, Victor Oziman and what he did to get that ball, it was incredible, especially when I came home and watched it on replay. Oh, man, it was crazy. That was awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we have to give LMS a little bit of credit. First, like you said, for showing for the ball, being in the right position. Second, for having the composure to take a touch rather than just hitting the ball first time. And then you never know. Sometimes when you hit the ball first time, you score. Sometimes you miss hit it, you shank it, and completely miss the target. And then for finishing with his left, which is not his stronger foot. Now, he did get a bit of a fortuitous bounce on the deflection off Hans Hattabor. But ultimately, I think we have to give Osiman most of the credit for the goal. Then what a response from Victor after he was the player that conceded the penalty kick with the handball. Oh, man, no doubt, man. And... It almost felt like that penalty kick just lit more of a fire in him for the rest of the match, too, man, because he was all over the place. Oh, man, we got a special player. He's, he's leading the league in goals now, too. And, I mean, he was out for several weeks. It's amazing what's going on with Napoli right now, man. And Victor's a big part of that, so... It's a really good feeling, and I just love his aggressiveness and his passion. After the game, he came up to the the visitor section and just 
put his fists up in the air, man, it's a really good feeling to see him be so passionate. Yeah, we caught that on the broadcast where he went up to the visitor section and he just kept on saying, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, he's, and he's always one of the guys that's first to those to those visiting fans or home fans, whichever, in, in the Curva. And, and he's also one of the guys that stays out the longest, it seems like, at least watching it on TV. Even though I think the penalty kick was ultimately the correct decision, I think he was also a little bit unlucky in the sense that he appeared to be trying to pull his arm back and he just didn't get his arm back quickly enough and the ball hit it and you know that can happen sometimes. Credit to Lookman for converting the penalty. It's hard to place the ball any more perfectly in the top corner than he did on that penalty kick. But it didn't take long for Osiman to atone for that error, if you can even call it that. Only a few minutes after Atalanta went ahead, Osimen headed in the equalizer from the corner kick. Then that was just a fantastic header from Victor. Oh, absolutely. The, his body control in the air and the ability to know the goalie was coming to the opposite side that he headed the ball. Seeing it from the stands, you don't get the same perspective when you're watching it on TV. It looked nice, but man, watching the replay again, man, it was special. The body control was what was most special about that. Being able to keep his body in the position it needed to be in the air so that he could actually still get a a good, strong shot with his head going the opposite way was just incredible. Exactly. He had to sort of lean back a little bit because the cross was just slightly behind him. And so to lean back and wrap your head around the ball like that was just unbelievable. And that's why he didn't get much power on the header. But as you said... He was smart enough to know that Musso's momentum was taking him towards the left. So he just had to place the ball towards the right. And it didn't matter if it had much power on the shot. We all know how good Victor is in the air. He scored a number of goals with his head last season. He could well be the best header of the ball in all of Serie A. In my opinion, he is. Surprisingly, that was the first goal he scored with his head this season. It was his eighth goal in Serie A, which, as you said, makes him the top scorer in the league, despite missing four matches due to injury. He scored six goals since returning from that injury, which I think is partly due to the fact that we didn't rush him back with how well Raspadori and Simeone played in his absence. A couple of other players deserve a mention as well, I think, on that goal. First, Stanislav Lobotka made a rare foray forward to win the corner kick. And then the delivery on the cross by Zielinski was excellent. Like I said, it was a little bit behind him, but still a very good cross. That was already his seventh assist in all competitions to go along with four goals. Atlanta fell asleep a little bit on the set piece, so Zielinski was able to carry the ball pretty close to the edge of the area before playing that cross in. And then back to Elmas, he was the other player involved in the set piece. So he played the pass before the pass. And then 12 minutes later, Osiman picked up his second assist of the season, which was the goal that you were referring to. And that play that he made to fend off Demoral, you know, as Patrick Hendricks said on the broadcast for the English World Feed, he can be unplayable at times. Demoral was draped all over him and Victor fought him off. Chris Kelly said it on Twitter in response to one of my tweets. It was very similar to the play that he made against Chris Smalling before he scored in the Roma match, except he -hmm. made an assist instead of a goal. And even the assist, like to be able to fend off the defender, he even lost the ball for a moment, won it back, 
and then still have the wherewithal and the vision to pick out Elmas in front of the goal at sort of at the penalty spot was just incredible. Absolutely. Everything about that play and what he did, just like you mentioned, the whole sequence, man, was it's been one of his best individual efforts that I've seen since he's joined Napoli, man. It was awesome. Exactly. Okay, that will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about the other standout performer in the match. We'll talk about the importance of this victory within the context of the bigger picture. And we'll talk about the latest edition of the off the field issues in Bergamo. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Betstamp. With the Betstamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sports books in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts. And best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the Betstamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. All right, so I mentioned that there was another standout performer in this match, at least in my opinion, and that was Alex Meret. Then some people were critical of Meret for the goals we conceded against Liverpool. We seem to have a pretty short leash with Meret, but at least for this match, he answered the critics once again. Oh, absolutely, Joe. I'm waiting for like the moment where the fans just... Just put their faith in him. I mean, he's only had one absolutely poor performance against Bologna. Only one. How many matches have we played so far? I mean, what more do they want from him? Those goals against Liverpool, they they were not easy to even get his hands on. And I'm hoping that this is like the next step in the fans just leaving that alone and understanding that he can be our Scudetto goalie and just putting more faith in him, you know, because the last thing that we need is, is negativity when things are going so right. But it just seems like fans too often want to be right about something. Why is it important to be right about something, man? Just enjoy what's happening and, and support all the players, especially when they're playing good. It's one thing to be upset about a player if they're playing really bad, but he's not. He's had one bad match. Nobody can say that that Liverpool match was a bad match. You might have a little bit of difference of opinion, like why didn't he catch those balls or why didn't he, you know, why was he in his position could have been a little bit up front, you know, but the defense is what caused those goals, not Medit, in my opinion. And I just, I'm hoping that this is another match where people just start to turn that corner and just support him and leave it at that. Even the Bologna match, even if he didn't play well, we still got the victory. So <laughs> I think we can all just kind of move on from that. He made two big saves in this match. The first was in the opening minutes on Rasmus Hoyland after Adamola Luckman got behind our back line. And then the second was in the 55th minute after a pretty long run by Joachim Mele. And then we got a little bit lucky that Lookman's uh, rebound hit the crossbar. I saw some Milan and Juve supporters on social media using a still frame to suggest that Oliveira handled the ball in that play, which... I think was a little bit desperate from those fan bases that, you know, it's, it's good to be at the top because then 
they come after you for things like this. So that's totally fine because it means we're at the top. So I'll take it. Even though Medet did well on both of those chances, I thought neither Hoyland nor Mele picked the corner on their chances. And for me, that was effectively the difference in this match. According to the official match report, we had seven chances to Atalanta's 11, and we had seven shot attempts to their 16. Yet both sides hit the target five times. And of course, we scored twice and they only scored once. So in other words, we were more clinical. In my opinion, Atlanta were the better side on the whole. And I even hesitate to say that. I think we'll probably concede that they were better for the first quarter of the match. I think we were better for the second quarter of the match, so the second half of the first half. And then I think it's a little bit debatable about who was better in the second half because that just sort of depends on what each team was trying to achieve. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. we didn't concede and we won the match. So just because Atalanta created more chances in the second half doesn't necessarily mean they were the better squad. But at the end of the day, all that matters is the final score. Then thinking of the bigger picture, how important is it that we win matches like this, even if maybe we weren't necessarily the better squad on that day? Oh, man, it's immense, Joe. So, like, getting road wins against the teams that are currently, you know, Scudetto challengers, I mean, number one, you're building confidence. And number two, it's almost like that three-point win is like a six-point win because – when you get three points on the road, then you come and you play home and you win that, it's a huge deal because if you don't win at home, then you've already won on the road. So getting that that road victory, especially when it's the first one, is a really big deal. And being able to do that already against four of the top six teams is just crazy important for the end of the season when we get down to the the nitty-gritty and it's getting close and we've already gotten those victories, you know what I mean? I think it's also worth noting that with Atalanta finishing in eighth place last season and therefore not qualifying for any European competitions, we've played a lot more than they have this season. So even if we did look maybe a little bit sluggish or a little bit slower than they were, particularly in the second half, like we've played six matches more than they have this season and we're still in November because of this condensed schedule that is a lot more football to play now granted we probably have a deeper squad than them but that's why I'm perfectly fine with having a half just like against Liverpool I'm fine with that loss because we did what we had to do to get the result which was not lose by more than three we topped the group that's what mattered in that match sure it ended the win streak fine but we got to think bigger picture and like in this match You know, we know we got another match coming up on Tuesday. We had a lead. There was no need to be hyper aggressive. As much as we like to see that, we like to see all the goals. And actually, we could have gone ahead three to one if Simeone had converted the chance, sort of the one good chance we got in the second half. Just, you know, he's Mm. human too. He's going to miss every once in a while. But it was our ninth consecutive victory in Serie A. As you said, we've beaten all of the top teams that we've played against all away from home. And all by a single goal. So we're finding ways to get these wins. The last thing that I want to talk about, just pivoting a little bit, is something that we always seem to talk about whenever you attend an away match. And I don't mean because it's you specifically. It seems to happen at, I think it's happened at every single away match, except for maybe Cremonese this season. And that's sort of the, the usual discriminatory or derogatory chance from 
I'll say select Atalanta supporters. I mean, it seems to happen quite a bit, so I, it seems like a good amount of them. Dan, I seem to ask you this every time you go to the match, so I know your feelings about it already, but I'm just curious to know, like, what's the reaction from the rest of the away section? Is it kind of like, okay, it's the usual, we're expecting this, this always happens, or, you know, are people still, do people get really, really upset about this? No, actually, Joe, it's it's much more closer to what you said at the start there. So, yeah, we're almost like, okay, rubbing it off our shoulder and, you know, just go ahead and chant what you want because we don't really care anymore because we know that nothing's going to change. And, oh, by the way, we're going to use one of your chants to in our favor. You know what I mean? So the fact that we've done that, I just think that, like, the away fans almost everywhere we go now, it's almost like they feel obligated that they have to do that chant because everybody in Italy is expecting them to do it. So I really don't care anymore, Joe. I'll be honest with you. It doesn't really do anything for me. And I don't notice that with the fans either. I mean, we didn't even pay attention to it, you know, and we had our fun coming on getting on the buses and coming to the stadium and, and chanting throughout the city. And, and not one of those chants was discriminatory. So the fact that we haven't come up with chants that are actually discriminatory, you know, that are massive derogatory things that pretty much all of Italy at this point is chanting, you know, against Napoli is it makes me feel good because we haven't succumbed to their, their negativity and we haven't went low like they are. And we've, <laughs> we're using one of their chants in our favor now. Like that chant, Vesuvia Ruta, like it's done at halftime at home games and everybody does it. And it's, it's emotional and there's a lot of passion behind it. So they can keep doing it if they want to be honest, because we don't care anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's, Kind of sad, but I totally get it at the same time. There were at least two men who were shouting hateful remarks who are very easily identifiable from the videos that were posted on social media. So hopefully they're both banned from going to the matches. Atalanta were fined a total of 25,000 euros, 12,000 for repeatedly singing chants of a territorial origin and even a religious origin, apparently. 10,000 for throwing objects onto the pitch towards the Napoli players and towards the officials who they weren't happy with at the end of the match and 3000 euros for insulting chants directed towards the match officials on that last one. I guess the Atlanta fans didn't like that. Mariani called the game without giving them an extra minute of stoppage time. The irony is that Gasparini called Mariani over to talk to him. I don't know if it was about the Juan Jesus header that, should have been a corner kick, but we got a goal kick out of it. But then for him to maybe expect to get that time back after he called over the official to talk about it, it was like, you're wasting your own time. You should have just let them play on. <laughs> Meanwhile, Napoli was fined 5,000 euros for insulting chants directed towards the coach of the <laughs> opposition team, namely Giampiero Gasparini, which I don't find terribly surprising. Then before we wrap up the Atalanta review, we were chatting offline about a couple of interesting moments or experiences that you had at this match. So why don't I hand over the microphone to you and you can talk a little bit about your experience getting into the stadium and then a cool little experience at the end of the match. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, 
So the problem with getting into the stadium stems from the fact that there's not levels of checking your tickets. So like what happens is um, you go to a parking lot that's like a 10-minute bus right away. You park there and you get on these buses that take you all the way into the the gates of the parking lot to the stadium. So you don't show your ticket to anybody until you're at the turnstile to scan it. So I think that there's a lot of, you know, Napoli fans that that recognize that the control is is very weak like that. And I think that there was a lot of Napoli fans that ended up trying to use counterfeit tickets, you know, and they weren't scanning and they kept on trying to scan them, I'm guessing. And that caused a blockage and there was only two turnstiles. And then I recognized that at the turnstile, they actually had just normal stewards, not like Polizia or Carabinieri or anything that was really participating and telling them that they need to go because their tickets are not scanning. So it was really, really bad how the whole security part of it was handled. And one thing that I saw after I had gotten through the turnstiles is there was another young dude that, you know, he got through the turnstile somehow. He probably squeezed in with some other guy with an actual real ticket. And as soon as he did that, like, the Nomer stewards, I think, were trying to stop him, and he ran into the stadium. And when he ran into the stadium, one of the younger Carabinieri or Polizia dudes chased him and tried to, like, grab him and pull him back. And then somebody that seems like they were in charge went up to him and pulled him back and said, what are you doing? Let him go. You know, so, duh, because if you're going to do that, then somebody could get hurt. Or you could cause even more of a, a ruckus or whatever. So let the guy just get into – he's already in here. It's not going to change anything. Something like this would just make it worse, you know what I mean? So I just thought that, number one, the stadium wasn't ready for that, and they should have been, especially due to the fact that they don't have layers of control of the tickets. And then, you know, number two, it's upsetting that – a lot of people did try to do that. You know what I mean? It's it's not the right thing to do. I would never try to do that. But I do understand that that's human nature. People are going to try to get into a game that sold out in five minutes because they couldn't get a ticket. So I get it. And security at the stadium should have been ready for that. And they absolutely were not ready for it. Yeah, so that's interesting because that's the type of experience that no one watching on TV would really get to know that that happened. And it's always fun to hear about the sort of inner workings of these things, attending matches. The other story was a lot more fun. Why don't you tell the listeners about that one? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I met a dude from Norway a few weeks back, like towards the beginning of the season. And uh, throughout our conversations, you know, he explained that he actually played a lot with Ostigard and he was buddies with him and everything. And I don't know, a couple of weeks ago or so, I was like, dude, man, why don't you come to the Atalanta game in Bergamo? So like a day or two later, he showed me his flight itinerary, man. So, um, yeah, he came up here and stayed at my place for a night, a couple nights, actually. And we drove over there and everything. And uh, on the way, you know, just during normal conversation, I was like, dude, you know, you should text your boy and say, hey, give me the, your jersey after the game. You know, and he's like, oh, yeah, I guess I should, right? So he did it, and 
Ostegard answered him right back and says, yeah, man, we'll figure out a way to do it. At the end of the match, we get down to the bottom there when the players are coming over, and I pushed him up to the top of the window thing there, and he saw Ostegard. Ostegard was trying to find him, but, dude, there was chaos. The entire ultra section was trying to get up there and everything, so I don't think Ostegard saw him. And then he texted him, and he's like, hey, yeah, I don't know if we can still do this. And I said, Ostegard, man, I'll come back out there, dude. He showed me the text, and he's like, yeah, he's going to come back out. And I was like, oh, no way, man. So, yeah, he came back out after all the players were in the locker room already. And uh, my buddy, Veb Bjorn, I pushed him back up there, and he actually sat on the top of the window this time. And uh, so he came over, gave him his jersey, and after he did that and he was walking away, the Ultras are like – yelling at him like give us stuff man you're not gonna just leave here and not give us anything else because you know he had his training top on still um his shorts and stuff so everybody's seen the video Ostigard left nude all he had was his underwear on so the ultras made him strip down nude man it was funny it was pretty cool and then the other thing is that uh i didn't know that Ostigard gave him two jerseys i had no clue i just thought he got one and uh in the car as we were getting ready to leave He's like, uh, yeah, I just need to show you something. I'm like, what? And he's like, you need to show me the jersey. I was like, hey, I got one for you too, man. I was like, oh, that's cool, man. Thanks for thinking of me. So that was really nice that he did that. And then Ostigard, you know, coming out and doing that was really, really cool. And and I'm telling you, that that moment for Ostigard, he just – he gained a whole lot of support now just from him doing that. And it was a cool experience. That's an awesome story. And he deserves to get that extra support. I mean, to to come back out, first of all, after everyone had kind of gone in, shows that he really cared. He really wanted to do that for your friend and for the fans in general. And then it's just funny because we did all see that video of Ostergaard kind of running down the sideline in his underwear and kind of thinking, like, what is going on here? So now we have a bit of the the context and the background as to, to what happened. I mean, I have seen that happen before. Usually stuff like that happens more like in the tunnel or whatever, but not just out in the open on the pitch. But very, yeah, very you know, uh, you know, D. Letta Leota saw him run yeah. into the locker room nude too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess the zone was covering the match, uh, for yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That is where we'll leave it for part two. In part three, we'll quickly touch on the Champions League draw and we will quickly preview the match against Empoli on Tuesday. Welcome to part three of the Fortsonapoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Fortsonapoli pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and at fortsonapolipress.com. Okay, before we get to the Ampoli match, all of the UEFA European Cup draws were done on Monday We had the draw for the Champions League round of 16, and by some miracle, we managed to dodge PSG. Instead, we got Eintracht Frankfurt. Dan, how are you feeling about that draw? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Selfishly, I've always wanted to go to the Dortmund Stadium because, man, their fans are crazy passionate. So selfishly inside, I was hoping to draw them just because I want to go to that stadium. And then on the outside of being selfish, I was ready for it to be PSG just because we just don't get 
the luck of the draw normally when it comes to, you know, everything in Champions League, both the group stage and then whenever we do get past who we end up drawing up next. So when uh, when Frankfurt was put up on the screen there, my I, I took a long lunch hour and left work, came home to watch it. I was not expecting that, man. I really wasn't. So it was it was good to see that. And if Napoli's playing like they are now, I think that the confidence should be pretty high that we actually get into the final eight. And when have we been in the final eight in the Champions League? Never, right? I mean, so it's a historic year, man. I think we're going to get past them. I, I know we shouldn't be saying that before it happens, but – we're definitely the better team. And if we execute the way we can and being that we're playing at home in the second leg too, man, getting first out of that group was a big deal. It really was. So very good draw for us being able to advance to the next round. So I'm looking forward to that, man. Yeah. I mean, it was probably the most stressful draw that i've experienced because we knew, there were, we knew there were five teams that we could potentially draw and right off the bat rb leipzig and club Brugge get pulled and neither of them draw napoli so now we're down to three clubs it's either frankfurt dortmund or psg and obviously first and foremost we wanted to avoid psg so thankfully we didn't get them and then the rest of the teams, I think, are all teams we probably feel were beatable. With all due respect to Frankfurt, they were probably one of the two teams that we were hoping to get, the other being Club Brugge. Frankfurt finished 11th in the Bundesliga last season and only qualified for the group stage of the Champions League because they won the Europa League, which is no small feat. They beat Rangers in the finals of last season's Europa League. Currently, they're fifth in the Bundesliga behind Bayern Munich, SC Freiburg, Union Berlin, and Borussia Dortmund. The last time we played against them was in the 94-95 UEFA Cup. Actually, the Italian teams in general, I think, fared quite well in this draw. Milan drew Antonio Conte's Tottenham for a good team, but, I mean, they're probably less scary than some of the other group winners, so that's Mm -hmm. probably a decent draw for Milan. Likewise, Inter drew Porto. So, you know, like you said, not to get ahead of ourselves, but we could conceivably have three Italian clubs in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, which I think, you know, we all hate on on our rivals and all that stuff. In a way, it's good for them to advance as well. So they're also playing as many games as we are. But I think generally that's probably very good for Italian football. The Champions League will be paused for a while now. The round of 16 does not commence until February. I think the first leg of the round of 16 will be on February 14th, 15th, 20th, and 21st. And then the return legs will be on March 7th, 8th, 14th, and 15th. Okay, so let's close the pod with a quick preview of our match against Empoli on Tuesday. Dan, Empoli have been a real thorn in our side over the past few seasons. Are you expecting something different this time around? 100%. This is not the Napoli of the past few seasons. That's short and sweet for you, man. I ain't scared of them at all, dude. No, and that's that's well said. I mean, whenever we play a top club like Atalanta, who we just covered, we talk about how it's a big test for Napoli. In a way, I'm a little bit more worried about this match against Empoli than I am or was for the Atalanta match. And that's only because of our recent history. Now, as you said, we're a different team this season than we have been in the past seasons. We've 
historically, or at least in recent history, fared quite well against the top clubs and dropped points to these sort of mid to lower table teams. Three teams took points from us in both fixtures last season. Roma were one. We drew them both twice. Inter were another. They beat us once and we drew them the other time. But Empoli were the only team that took all six points from us last season. They also beat us in the return leg in the season before that. So even though we beat them in the Coppa Italia round of 16, which was in between those two losses, we've technically lost three straight Serie A matches to Empoli. Not that anyone needs reminding, but the most recent defeat was probably the one that ended whatever hopes we had left of winning the Scudetto last season. And you can be sure that Empoli will be looking to play spoilers again this time around. So for me, this is still another test for Napoli, even if it's maybe just a psychological test to get past a team that has been difficult for us, especially for someone like Alex Meret, who we talked about earlier. And, you know, he gave up a howler in that match against them last season with some poor footwork, which hasn't really been an issue for him this season. Hopefully it remains that way. But I think one thing that plays to our advantage this time around is that this is a midweek fixture for the entire league. You know, there's no excuses for the loss at the Carlo Castellani last season, especially the way that loss happened, conceding three goals in the final 10 minutes. But for the loss to Empoli at the Maradona last season, we were coming off a midweek fixture against Leicester City in the Europa League, whereas they were still fresh. We also had a bunch of injuries. And of course, over the summer, we significantly improved our depth. So that's a good segue to talk about Napoli's starting 11. Then... Spalletti has shown a willingness to rotate his squad. So we're going to, you know, we can expect some changes from this match. We could theoretically see four or five, even six changes. So let's go through each position and sort of see where we end up in terms of a starting 11. We know Alex Meret will start in goal. We know Giovanni Di Lorenzo will play at right back and Kim Min Jae will most likely be one of the two center backs. Who do you think will pair with Kim at center back? And who do you think will play at left back? So I'd bet a paycheck that Ostegaard starts along Kim as the other center back. Uh, just because, you know, Juan Jesus did play the entire match, right? He didn't get subbed out, right? No, he played the full 90. He did, right. Okay, just making sure I remember that right. Um, I know Ostegaard warmed up a couple times. And it was put out there to warm up uh, when Zabata came back on. So I thought Spalletti was at least thinking about putting Ostigard in, which tells me that he has confidence in Ostigard. I don't think there's any question about that anymore, that he's comfortable with him playing. So, yeah, I think he's going to start, man. I would. I think that's probably the, the number one non-regular that will get a start is Ostigard. And then Oliveira started last game. And it's almost getting to the point where it seems like him and Rui are just, you know, swapping each game. Oliveira seemed to be just a Champions League guy, but now he played in this big match on the road. And I'm pretty confident Rui will get the start also at left back just because Oliveira started this last game. That's what I'm thinking as well. I think Ostergaard has to play at least one of these last two matches before the World Cup break. So you might as well give Jesus a rest play Ostegaard here, and then you can play either of them. Take your pick against Udinese, whoever matches up better. At left back, I agree, Mario Rui will probably return to the starting 11. Oliveira has played two games in a row, actually, after Mario Rui played two in a row, so it kind of makes sense. I mean, there's no need to put any undue stress on Oliveira. If Oliveira starts again, I think that can mean one of two things. It can mean that 
Oliveira might have overtaken Mario Rui in the depth charts at left back. Or the more cynical explanation might be that maybe the club is intentionally not playing Mario Rui a little bit so that he doesn't get called up by Portugal for the World Cup. But that's me just pure pure speculation. I think Mario Rui is going to start in this match. Let's move on to the midfield. The standard midfield three is Lobotka, Zaragista with Zielinski on the left and Anguisa on the right. Do you think we'll see any changes there? So this is the probably the toughest is the midfield. God, I mean, when is Lobotka going to get a rest? But I'm not I'm not ready for Deme to start. Well, I'll tell you when he's going to rest. He's going to rest during the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think Spalletti has shown that he's not really going to do another huge turnover and throw out too many players from the lesson that he learned with Lecce. Although Lecce was earlier in the season when there was a lot of players that really didn't get a lot of playing time together. And I think that he's probably always going to want to either have Zambo or Laboka playing no matter what. Oh, man, that's a good question, Joe. I don't know. I don't think I can answer that. I'm not confident in who it will be. I think Ndombele could get a start just because he didn't start this last game, which means maybe Zombo does sit. No, you know, man, the Gazeta dello Sport had a high player rating for Zombo. I don't know if if you noticed him not being himself, but that's how I saw it. And maybe he's not 100% fit yet to really, really play back-to-back matches like we're used to seeing him. So maybe Zombo's the guy that sits in and Dombole plays, and then uh, Zelensky would be the other guy. I'm hoping that Spalletti doesn't do a huge turnover. I would prefer for that midfield not to be completely changed up. And, I mean, who are you going to completely change it up with? I mean, Deme, I don't think Deme is is ready just because we haven't seen him really play. And Elmas would be one of the other options. And I think with Cavada actually being out again because of his back pain, that Elmas could go there, but Elmas could also be an available sub and Raspadori playing up there. So it's going to be interesting to see what Spalletti does. I just hope he doesn't do a huge turnover because – that's not going to be a smart thing to do, I think. We need to make sure we get this victory. And if we're up by, like, two goals in the second half, then start thinking about bringing in some of the non-regulars much earlier in the second half instead of just starting a whole bunch at the beginning. Yeah, I think that's far more likely. More than likely, we're going to see the same midfield trio of Lobotka and Gisa and Zielinski. I have a funny feeling that maybe we might see Ndombele start over Zielinski, just because Zilu's kind of fallen off out of form a little bit, not not horribly, but or at least compared to his really strong start to the season, he's cooled off a little bit. Lobotka, I joke that he's going to rest during the World Cup, but I also mean that. I think he'll pl- ride him out for the next two <laughs> matches, and then you know he'll get his rest for a couple months. Maybe the same thing with Angisa, although Ndombele could also spell Angisa for a match. So between those guys, it'll be those three out of those four, basically, for this match. In the front three, for me, that's the most difficult to predict. Who do you have? I mean, you touched on Raspadori or Elmas potentially starting on the left wing. 
Who do you think will start on the right wing and at striker? It won't surprise me if Spalletti does start Simeone at striker. Just because at some point, I think he's played well enough where he he deserves a start every once in a while. This is a home game. It's against a, a team that we that we haven't had good history with, but we should still dominate. So I could see Simeone starting ahead of Victor. And I think Raspadori definitely gets like the left wing spot, like you mentioned. And then on the right, I think probably Politano will get the start. And I think some of that has to do with Lozano not having his one of his better games. Although Politano wasn't good either when he came in. So, yeah, I think Politano, man, will start on the right. And for me, it's a toss-up between Simeone and Victor. I think it really depends on how they look in in training recently, like how Simeone has looked. I'm sure Victor's looked fine, but how he's looked, if he's – God, man, I know he's looked good too, man, because every time Simeone comes on, he's ready. You know what I mean? So, ah, man, it's a toss-up. I would much rather Simeone start this game and then Victor starts the last game before the break against Udinese. So if it was my preference, I would start Simeone. But I'm not sure if Spalletti's going to do that. And then on the right, it doesn't matter to me whether it's Lozano or Politano because, you know, they're 50-50 pretty much anyway. Lozano started the last game, so it makes sense that Politano starts this one. You're right. It is a little hard thinking he's going to be up in the front too, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is. I agree. I think Politano will start. They've practically alternated almost every single match, those two. So Lozano started the last match. Politano comes in for this one. I didn't think he was that bad off the bench. I thought he gave us a good little jolt of energy on that right wing. And, And maybe it was because Lozano really struggled in that Atalanta match. So maybe just compared to Lozano's performance, he looked better. The one with Osimhen and Simeone is so tough. Even, you know, sometimes you get hints from the previous match when a player comes off, if he plays a full 90, that sort of thing. Spalletti replaced Osimhen with Simeone in the 75th minute. And I still don't know because I don't know if that <laughs> means that he was resting Osimhen for a few extra minutes so that he can start against Empoli. Or was that him playing Simeone for a few minutes so that he can start against Empoli? Like, I, I honestly don't know. If I had to guess, I'm still leaning more towards Osiman just because he's in such fine form right now. He's scoring like crazy, I don't know, six goals since he came back from injury. So I'm leaning towards Osiman. And then I agree with you that I think Raspadori will start on the left wing just because I think if Elmas was going to play again, then he would have been taken out at some point in that Atalanta match, not in like the 93rd minute. So I think we're going to see Raspadori get a start also because he needs to get some minutes as well. I mean, he didn't play at all in that Atalanta match. Let me quickly tell you who I think is going to start for Empoli, which is also somewhat difficult because they only play once a week. I think maybe there was one match early in the season where they got, they had a match with only a few days rest, but otherwise when you're playing once a week, you can play the same squad every week. Now they're playing on short rest, so that might necessitate a few changes. But we'll hey, see Joe, them. Can I ask you something real quick before you do that? Yep. Do you have any idea why Serie A has not announced the player of the month yet for for October? Why is it taking them so long? Do you have any clue? 
No, actually, I don't. I, <laughs> I didn't even think about it, but I know, like, we saw Spalletti got the coach of the month. I know you've yeah. been lobbying for Osiman to get his well-deserved player of the month award for, for October, but yeah, I, I don't know why that hasn't been announced. It makes no sense, man. Yeah. It's, it's annoying. Maybe they're wanting to announce it as a surprise for the home match coming up against Empoli. I guess maybe that is a nice thing to do, but I don't know. They haven't really done that the rest of the the season with the other two awards. It was right at the beginning of the following month. So I was just curious if you had seen anything and had any idea why it was like that. Sorry, man. (laughs) No, no, I I don't know. Although they always hand out the awards at home matches before the match. And this is one of the quirks in the schedule where I believe we have back-to-back home matches. I think the Udinese match is also at home. So maybe what they're doing is, okay, we'll give Spalletti the award before the Empoli match and then presumably give Osimen the award before the Udinese match. But, you know, I, that's me just speculating. I've not heard anything about it, which is curious. Okay, so let me quickly run through my predicted Empoli starting lineup. Zanetti typically lines up in a 4-3-1-2 formation, though we could see him use a 4-3-3. He did use that against Atalanta. Guglielmo Vicario will start in goal. With Coney De Winter hurt, I think we'll see Sebastiano Luperto and Ardian Ismaili at center back. I think we'll see a former Napoli target, Fabiano Parisi, start at left back and either Peter Stojanovic or Tyrone Ebuehi at right back. Abuahi played against Sassuolo, so I think Stojanovic is probably going to start for this match. This midfield is really tricky to predict because Zanetti rotates between five different players. Razman Marin, Filippo Bandinelli, Nicolas Haas, Liam Henderson, they all play quite often. And then we even saw Jacopo Fazzini against Sassuolo, but he left that match with an injury, so I'm not expecting him to play. I think we're going to see Marin in the center, Haas on the left, and Bandinelli on the right. The front three is tricky as well. Mattia Destro left the Sassuolo match with a calf problem. So if Empoli play in a 4-3-1-2, the front two will likely be Martin Satriano and Sam Lammers. And then Empoli have a few options for the Trequartista. We could see any of Tommaso Baldanzi, Nadine Barami, and Marco Piazza there. If they play with a more traditional front three, then I think we would see Piazza on the left, Bayrami on the right, and Satriano at striker. And that's what I'm expecting for this match. Even though it's not their typical formation, I think it would be a little bit too risky to play with two strikers against Napoli. Okay, before we wrap it up, did you want to make any predictions for this match, or are you too superstitious? Superstitious? What? I don't know. You're a Napoli fan, right? Dude, man, I'm still American, though. <laughs> All right, well, let's hear it. <laughs> superstitious, man. Hey, where do you think Empoli could hurt Napoli? Where is somewhere where Spalletti is uh, probably focusing in training to try to to keep them from actually playing well against us? So that's the funny thing with Empoli is that, and I respect them for it, but I think it's actually going to play against them, which is that they have their own identity and they do get forward and they like to attack. But that plays right into our hands because like we've seen in the Champions League, teams that play more proactive football and get forward leave Mm. more space on the pitch and that's where we can take advantage with our passing. So I think that might 
as much as I'd like to see a team play that way rather than just sit back in a low block and try to clog up the field, which so far has seemed to be the most effective strategy against us, mm-hmm. I think their style actually matches up really well for Napoli. I can't really think of you know where where they could hurt us unless they actually change their tactics and play in a lower block then then mm. we'll have to figure out try to find our way through okay all right I was thinking about it this morning just when I was reading the paper and like dude they don't have anybody that's a threat it seems like there's yeah you look at that squad and then on top of that with Destro like Satriano has struggled this season I think he's a good player but he can't seem to find the back of the goal Destro, at least he's the type of guy that can beat you with some kind of wonder strike. Even <laughs> you never know how he pulls these things off, but he's pretty good. He's kind of like a poor man's Qualiarella a little bit, where you know he scored mm-hmm. a bicycle kick the other week or whatever. But even he's out. So yeah, you look at that squad and and there's no sort of one individual that that really scares you all that much. Gotcha. Okay. So what do you think is gonna be the outcome? Ooh, prediction. Mm-hmm. Uh, 4-1 that's mind. really optimistic right no I think that's a reasonable prediction I, I'm going to go with 3-0 for Napoli so that's pretty close I mean we both have them winning by 3 just I don't have us <laughs> conceding and you have us conceding 1 I'm going to give the goals to Osimen, Politano and Raspadori quite simply we're playing at the Maradona both teams are on short rest and we have a much deeper squad So, and further to my point earlier about the style that Empoli play. I think despite our recent history against them, I think this should be a fairly winnable match or a fairly easy match to win. I'm not going to this game, Joe. It's in the middle of the week. So like, I would love to see Mario Rui finally get his goal, but not yet. Not until I go to the Udinese match. I want to be in the stadium when that dude scores, man. You Honestly, know the guy crazy. deserves that. I cannot wait for Mario Rui to get. Oh him. God! I would even let yeah, him take they, a penalty oh. kick at some point. Just get the guy. <laughs> yeah, man, the stadium will lose its mind. Yeah, when yeah. he when he eventually scores. So I hope it happens. I think it will. I think it's it's meant to be for him to get at least one goal this season. So I'm I'm just hoping I'm actually at that home game when he does that. Yeah, that would be wild. And he deserves it. He really does. If you're looking to bet on this match, be sure to use the BetStamp app to find the best odds in your region. Although, to be perfectly honest, there are not many great lines for this match. Napoli are way too big favorites to bet on the money line. Most books are offering offering Napoli to win by two goals on the goal line, which is somewhat risky. But if you're going to bet, use ProLine, who's offering minus two and a half at plus 130. The total is sitting at three and a half goals. So if you're taking my prediction, you probably want to take the under. If you're taking Dan's prediction, you probably want to take the over. The over is always a pretty safe play with Napoli. So if you're going to bet on something, then that's probably the pick you want to take. With me in Toronto, you can get it for plus 103 with Pinnacle. Dan, that is all we have time for today. But thank you so much, as always, for chatting with me. Hey, thanks for having me on again, Joe. It's always a blast being on your show. Thank you. You can find Dan on Twitter with a new handle I just realized the other day when I was looking at your profile. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> it used to be at Azzurro Bow, and now it is at Napoli Dibo, D-B-O, which 
I think I like more. Yeah, it, it needed. You were due for an update on on the Twitter handle. There, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti five, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Fortsanapoli Pod. I will be back later in the week to review this match and to preview our final match out of 2022, which is on the weekend against Udinese. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Sports Social Podcast Network.